Well, hey there, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In our last episode, we started exploring how we can face the darkness in our world and in our lives by taking a closer look at how the people of Israel came out of the darkness of their slavery in Egypt. Well, in this episode sermon, we're going to take a slight detour from the story. In this episode, we're going to fast forward and find the people of Israel on the verge of entering into the promised land when they make a decision that they're going to end up regretting for 40 years. And hopefully, through this episode sermon, we can learn from their mistakes and be encouraged to follow God's direction for our lives. Because God is the only one who can bring us out of whatever darkness it is that we may face. So let's get right into this week's sermon. I don't know how many of you guys are on Facebook and what your Facebook feeds may look like, but if your Facebook feed looks anything like mine does, then you have seen a whole lot of pictures that look something like this over the last couple of weeks. Facebook has been filled with pictures, at least my feed, of of people getting ready to send their kids back off to school. So since Hannah's gone upstairs, I can embarrass her without her even knowing it, okay? So this is her picture getting ready to start her first day of second grade earlier this year. This picture was taken about a week and a half ago as Hannah and I were walking out of the door to get her off to that first day of second grade. And I got to tell you, As pictures like this one kept popping up all over my Facebook feed over the last few weeks, it's made me feel a little bit nostalgic in my own life. And it's made me want to think back on some of the milestone moments that I've experienced through the years. And there's one story in particular that I want to share with you guys this morning. And this story took place when I was learning to drive. Now, when I was learning to drive and getting close to taking the test to actually get my driver's license, my dad decided that we needed to go out every night for the, a couple of weeks leading up to my driver's test to practice. So every afternoon after I made it home from school, we would go out. We'd get out in the car, we'd cruise around my neighborhood, we'd go out onto a few busier streets. But after 15 or 20 minutes out on the road, we always ended up in the exact same spot. After about 15 or 20 minutes out on the road, my dad always had me drive to an empty church parking lot. Why? Because by the time I was getting ready to take my driver's test, I had already had my learner's permit for months, so I had most of the basic skills of driving down pat. It was those lesser-used skills that still needed a little bit of work. And there was one particular skill that we worked on every single afternoon, and you can probably guess what it was. Parallel parking. And every time we went out to practice parallel parking, my dad followed the exact same routine. Every afternoon when we went out to parallel park, my dad would get into the back of the trunk and he'd pull out two folding chairs. Not quite like these. We had those like old school 80s and 90s folding chairs. You remember the old lawn chairs that had the interwoven seats? I don't have those, so you have to pretend right here. And he'd get, he'd get those out, he'd set one up, and then he'd go back and he'd get the other one out, and he'd get it set up too. And he'd set them up, one of them to represent the bumper of the car in front while I'm parallel parking, and one of them to represent the bumper of the car behind me while parallel parking. And i got to tell you, this is pretty smart, because I'm sure that our insurance company didn't want me practicing this skill between two real cars. So these things worked out perfectly. And i got to tell you, 
I, I, I love and I appreciate the fact that my dad did this for me. And after he got these chairs set up, he would always stand in the same spot. He'd come stand right by that front chair, and then he would start directing me on what to do. Say, back up, turn the wheel this way, turn the wheel that way, whatever it was. And I appreciate all of his instructions. Truth of the matter is I probably would have failed a parallel parking part of the exam if it wasn't for my dad's advice. But I also have to tell you, I was 16 years old. And at one point in this process, my teenage angst got the best of me. So when we made it out there into the parking lot to practice that, that particular day, my dad was sitting in the car beside me still, and I said, Dad, I got this. I got this today. All right, I can do this on my own. So my dad got out of the car. He set up the two chairs, which is nicer than I would have been. I probably would have said, fine, you do it yourself, and set everything up. But he did that, and then he went over, he walked out of the way a little bit, and he let me do my thing. So I did my thing. I got into the car, I got it positioned to start the parallel parking, and I was on my game. i got to tell you, I had parallel parking down perfectly that day. I was doing so great that the DMV should have sent somebody out there to take a video of how great my parallel parking was, so they could have shown it to every other driver to ever have to do parallel parking. I started out, I started backing into the spot, and I got exactly where I needed to be, perfectly positioned so that as soon as I straightened the car out, I would be the right distance off of the curve, and everything was going to be fabulous. All I had to do was straighten the car back out. So, I took my foot off of the gas, put it down on the brake, started shifting in, into the drive gear, only I didn't go forward like I was supposed to, I actually started moving backwards at a rather alarming rate of speed as soon as I put my foot down on the brake, and the next thing I knew, I heard the rather distinct crunching sound of a car running over a metal folding lawn chair. You see, in the midst of my teenage angst, trying to prove that I could do everything on my own without my father's help, without following his directions, when I went to put my foot down on the, gas, on the brake, I accidentally hit the gas pedal instead, and before I could even shift it into drive, it kind of got away from me. I still feel bad for that poor chair. Didn't even see it coming, and it never sat the same way again after that. The worst part is, I brought the whole thing upon myself. I thought that I could do it all on my own without any guidance, any directions from my dad, but somewhere along the way, I forgot everything that he had taught me. Instead of taking my time and making sure that I did it right, I got in a hurry. I wanted to show off for my dad to prove myself to my father, and in the process, I made a big mistake. I'm just glad that all I hit was a metal folding chair and not something far more valuable along the way. Now, that's a fun little story, and y'all can harass me about it later. Tell me how bad of a driver I am. I don't care. It's fine. But what does all of this have to do with us this morning? Well, I think there are times that we as people of faith and followers of Jesus act the same way toward our Heavenly Father that I acted toward my dad when he was teaching me how to drive. You see, my dad wasn't just giving me directions to get on my nerves, like every teenager thinks their parents trying to do when they give them instructions. My dad really wanted the best for me. And my dad really knew far better than I did what was best for me when it came to driving a car. 
Because my dad wasn't just some guy that had spent a few years of his life with a driver's license along the way. Because of the time that my dad spent in the military and then law enforcement afterwards, my dad was actually a professionally trained driver. So he knew what he was talking about when he was giving me instructions on how to parallel park. But I didn't want to follow my dad's directions. I didn't want to follow his directions. And even though God only wants what's best for us, his children, and even though God knows far better than we do what is actually best for us, there are times when we don't want to follow our Heavenly Father's directions there are times when we don't want to follow our Heavenly Father's directions. And we're going to see one of those times play out in our scripture reading for this morning. And just so you know, this morning we're taking a little bit of detour from that sermon series we started last week in the book of Exodus. But I think you'll understand why we're taking this detour by the time we finish up this morning. So this morning, instead of looking at the story in the book of Exodus, we're going to take a look at a story from the book of Numbers. So if you will, go ahead and grab your Bible. Whether you've got a printed one like mine or an app on your phone, you can turn with me to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. Now, Numbers, of course, is toward the beginning of the Bible. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers. And we call this book Numbers because there are two different censuses that take place inside of this book. There are two times in the book of Numbers when the people of Israel are literally numbered. So we call the book Numbers. But i got to tell you, that makes this book sound so incredibly boring that nobody ever reads the book of Numbers. I mean, seriously, if you were in the bookstore and you ran across a book on the shelf that said Numbers, how many of you are picking that up and taking it to the cash register? Nobody. But when we call this book Numbers and we think it's horribly boring, we do this book an absolute disservice because this book is about so much more than just a couple of censuses being taken. This book actually tells the incredible story of how the people of Israel survived in the desert, in the wilderness, before they were finally able to enter into the land that God had promised them and their ancestors after they were freed from slavery in Egypt. And in the passage that we're going to be reading this morning in Numbers chapter 13, we're going to find the people of Israel on the verge of entering into that promised land. They're on the verge of making it back home after they had been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. But before they enter into the promised land, God has some instructions for the people of Israel. So with all of that in mind, let's look at Numbers chapter 13. We're going to start reading in verse 1. That's what it says. The Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one man from each ancestral tribe, each a chief among them. So Moses sent them out from the Paran Desert, according to the Lord's command. All the men were leaders among the Israelites. All right, so before the people of Israel can enter into the land of Canaan, that is the land that God had promised them and their ancestors, God tells the people to send out a group to go and explore the land. But what exactly are they looking for? as they go out and they explore the land. Well, we're going to pick back up in verse 17 here, and Moses is going to tell us what the people of Israel, what these explorers, these scouts, are supposed to be looking for when they go. So Numbers 13, starting in verse 17, it says, When Moses sent them out to explore the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there into the arid southern plain and into the mountains. 
You must inspect the land. What's it like? Are the people who live in it strong or weak? Are they few or are they many? Is the land in which they live good or is it bad? Are the towns in which they live, are they camps or are they fortresses? Is the land rich or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Be courageous and bring back the land's fruit, for it was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went and they explored the land. All right, so Moses sends this group out to explore. And he tells them to come back with a full report of what they find from this land. He wants them to tell him everything about the land. He even wants them to bring back samples of what they find in the land like it was a Saturday morning and he was sending them into Sam's Club, okay? He wants these people to come back with every bit of detail they can bring. But have you ever stopped to wonder why these men needed to go and explore this land that God had promised to the people of Israel? Why did God instruct Moses to send this group of scouts to begin with. Now, some people might tell you that this is simply a good military tactic playing out. To have this group of scouts go out into the land, into the promised land, and take a look at whatever is waiting there for them before everyone else follows in behind them. After all, Moses and Aaron and anyone else who may be leading the Israelites into battle, they're not familiar with this land. They haven't lived there for over 400 years since their people left. So they needed to know where their enemy lived. They needed to know how big their armies were. They needed to know how fortified the cities were that they might be going up against. And that makes sense until you remember that God is the one sending the people of Israel into the promised land. Do you really think that God needed a report coming back from these explorers to guarantee victory for the people of Israel when they walked into the promised land? Of course not. I mean, this is the same God who in the story of Gideon that plays out in a a couple of books later in the book of Judges sends Gideon to defeat an army of 135,000 soldiers with 300 regular guys. If God can conquer 135,000 trained soldiers with 300 guys, God doesn't need a blueprint to send the people of Israel into the promised land. So if sending these explorers into the promised land wasn't a good military tactic, then why did they need to go into the land to begin with? Well, here's why. God knew what was best for the people of Israel. God knew what was best for the people of Israel, and God knew that the best thing for them was for them to be able to go into the promised land. But God also wasn't going to force the people to follow his direction. So just like my dad got out of the car when I had my bit of teenage angst and wanted to do it on my own, God was going to let the people choose their own path. God wasn't going to force the people to follow his direction. So God sent these explorers into the promised land to go and see what it was like. He wanted them to go and see what it was like so that they could come back and they could tell everyone exactly what they needed to hear to tell them how great this land is, how perfect this land is, that God has taken them exactly where they need to be. So God sent the explorers so that the people would know that God was leading them in the right direction and that they should continue to follow God's directions for them. 
But as we're about to see, as the story continues, it's not exactly what happens. As we keep reading, we're going to see that there are two different ways that these explorers respond to what they see in the promised land. So we'll pick back up in Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. Is what it says. They, the explorers, returned from exploring the land after 40 days. They went directly to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the Paran Desert at Kadesh. They brought back a report to them and to the entire community, and they showed them the land's fruit. Then they gave their report. We entered the land to which you sent us. It's actually full of milk and honey, and this is its fruit. We're told other, other places in the story that the fruit was so large that two men had to carry a single cluster of grapes. So in this part of the story here, the explorers come back. They come back from the promised land. And it's, when they come back from the promised land, they start by telling Moses and everyone else how wonderful this land is. They say that it is actually a land that is full of milk and honey, and they give them a single cluster of grapes that was so large that two men had to carry it out. Now, I don't know what that sounds like to you, but I can imagine what it must have sounded like to the people of Israel. And for the people of Israel, I think that that description of the promised land must have sounded like it was nothing short of heaven. Because remember, at this point in the story, the people of Israel have been living out in the wilderness for more than a year. They haven't had much to eat while they've been out in the wilderness besides something that is called manna. Now the Bible describes manna as being like coriander seed. It is white and it tastes like honey wafers. So when I personally think of manna, I always say that I think it's like honeycomb cereal. And I don't care how much you like honeycomb cereal, you're going to be sick and tired of it if it's the only thing you had to eat for a year. That's all the people have had to eat. But now, They've just been told that they're standing on the cusp of a land that is filled with milk and honey that has grapes that are bigger than your fist. But everything doesn't stay all milk and honey for long in the story. Because in the very next verse, in Numbers 13, verse 28, the explorers go on to say, There are, however, powerful people who live in the land. The cities have huge fortifications. And we even saw the descendants of the Anakites there. The Amalekites live in the land of the arid southern plain. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the mountains. And the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. Now I really want you to tune in and pay attention to what happens next. And this is where we're going to see the two responses that come from these explorers. In Numbers 30-33 through we're told, Now Caleb calmed the people before Moses and said, We must go up and take possession of this land, because we are more than able to do it. But the men who went up with him said, We can't go up against the people. We can't go up against the people there because they are stronger than we are. So they started a rumor about the land that they had explored, telling the Israelites, The land that we crossed over to explore is a land that devours its residents. All the people that we saw in the land are huge men. We saw there the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers. 
That's how we appeared before them. So in these verses, you have Caleb, and you have the other men that explored the land with Caleb. The men that explored the land with Caleb, well, they're scared. All that they can think about were the other people that were already in the promised land. People that were so big that that the explorers felt like they were grasshoppers in their sights. But not Caleb. Caleb says, we must go and we must take possession of the land. So even though Caleb saw the same people that the other explorers saw, Caleb wasn't scared. He couldn't wait to go in and take the land that God had promised his people. And he couldn't wait to do it because Caleb knew that God was in it. Caleb knew that God was in it, that this is the place where God wanted the people of Israel to be. And Caleb was ready to follow God's directions no matter what. And that brings me to us this morning. And what we're going to be talking about as a church later on this evening. This evening as a church, we're going to be talking about a potential property that could be the next home of Melbourne Heights Baptist Church. And as we talk this evening, we're going to hear a report that's not dissimilar to the report the the explorers brought to the people of Israel. We're going to hear some good things about this property, and we're going to hear about some of the challenges of this property. And we're going to ask you for your opinion about it. We're going to ask you if you're willing to go to this location. Now, this isn't a formal vote. It's not even an official recommendation or anything along those lines. We just want your opinion on how you feel about this property and if you're willing to go where it is. That's where God wants us to be. And I have no doubt that when we come together later today that there are going to be dozens of different things that are weighing on all of our minds when we enter into this meeting and we try to make this decision. But before we reach that point where we take our straw poll to see where everybody stands in this congregation, even before we start the conversation at all, there's one more part of this story in the book of Numbers that I think we all need to hear. It happens in the next chapter, in Numbers 14, verse 8. While the people of Israel are standing around and they're trying to decide what to do. While they're trying to decide if they're going to enter into the promised land or if they're going to follow the report of the other scouts and not. One of those explorers, a man by the name of Joshua, stands up before the people and he says this to them. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us into this land and he'll give it to us. Joshua tells the people, if this is really the direction that God wants his people to go, then we can't fail. We cannot fail if we go. We cannot fail if we follow God's directions. So here's the real question that we all need to be wrestling with as we think about this potential property. We need to be asking, is God in this? We need to be asking, is God in this? Is God in this? Is this the direction that God has for our church? Is this the place that God wants us to go? Is this the land that God wants to give us? Because if this is the land, if God is in this, and we follow God's directions, then we cannot fail. If God is in this, then there is no other place on this planet for us to go. If God is in this, 
then nothing else matters. But this is a question. Is God in this? That I can't answer for you. This is a decision that you, all of you, have to make. You have to decide if this is God's direction for our church. And if God is in this, then I really hope that we do something differently than I did when my dad was teaching me how to drive. If God is in this, then I hope that we do something different than the people of Israel and the story that we've just been reading where they failed to follow God's directions for them. If God is in this, if God is in this potential property for our church, then I hope we follow God's directions. I hope we go where God wants us to go so that we can be who God wants us to be. But you, you're the ones who have to answer this question. You're the ones who have to determine if God is in this or not. But if you feel like God is in this, my hope my prayer for us all is that we follow God no matter what. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the reminder that we've had this morning of this story in the book of Numbers. We thank you for this account of the people of Israel as they're standing on the verge of the promised land and they hear this report about what it's like. And God, those people faced a difficult decision. They knew that there was plenty of good in the land that they had been brought to, but they also knew that there were challenges. What they had to figure out, oh God, is if you were in that place or not. Unfortunately, in their story, God, they made the wrong decision. You brought them to that place, a land that was flowing with milk and honey, a land that you had prepared for them hundreds of years before, but they decided not to follow your directions for them. God, you know that tonight our church will be standing and talking about a difficult decision. A decision that will shape our church, not just today, but for years to come. We have a tough decision to make. We'll be talking about a property that has lots of good and a property that has its fair share of challenges too. What we have to decide is the same thing the people of Israel. We have to decide if you are in this place. God, my greatest prayer that if you are in this, that we do something the Israelites didn't in this story. That we follow you. That we look forward to the good and see the bad, the challenges or obstacles that you will help us overcome. But God, we pray for your wisdom. We pray for your guidance. We pray for your direction to help us know if you are in this or not. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and thank you for listening to this episode of our Sermon Podcast. Now, I know that one of the hardest things that we all struggle with is knowing where God wants us to go. So I hope that this episode has helped you learn the right question to ask whenever you're facing a tough decision. Now, next week, we're going to be getting back into the book of Exodus, and we're going to be confronting a myth that a lot of us believe when it comes to overcoming the darkness in our world. 
That episode will drop next Tuesday, and if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll get sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And before I go, I just want to remind you that we are not supposed to be only hearers of the word. We're also supposed to be doers. So whenever you find yourself in a difficult spot and you're not sure which way to turn, remember to ask the most important question that you can ask. Ask, is God in this? And then be willing to follow wherever it is that God wants you to go. Now, I hope that you guys have a great week this week, and we will see you back here next Tuesday for another sermon podcast.